Magic Flavoring, the Magic the Gathering podcast, where we talk about all things magic, flavor design, and lore. I'm your host, Andy Mann. Hello, this is Nathan Cancel. Oh God, he's feisty. He's feisty. Oh, I am. Today. Oh, Aggie, I like it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you've come in with a real like. <laughs> you're so like energetic from life, and I've just finished work and have like literally power walked from the station back here, threw on the microphone, and was like, "Let's go, let's go, let's go." Um, so we've oh. got two very different energies, and yours mm-hmm. is a lot more chaotic than mine but it's good it's good i like it i'm frisky as i feel like you might be a little bit um like you want you want you, you want to be on the back burner right whereas i'm like fucking turn the nitrous on let's let's go let's go yeah. turbo style let's go fast and furious <laughs> and we're recording two episodes back to back we're yeah stockpiling. well Batch sometimes recording. i think it's necessary right like i mean Christmas time. I thought we've spoken. We've been doing this long enough that people know that when it comes to hospitality, Christmas time sucks. Yeah. Um, and I've been behind the curtain. I've been managing like three venues in 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 as many weeks, which is a lot when you're like you know a senior manager. Um, and yeah. I've settled into a new place, but we're just kind of going into Christmas period, so I feel like time's going to be really tough to find. Um, you know, loads of life stuff kind of being demanding as well. Like with, I mean, you know, there's been an obvious decline in our. Um, um in how consistent yeah exactly which um, you know everyone should shouldn't i mean you bastards you better understand how difficult it is keeping life up <laughs> yeah, i'll call you out on it um twi- but no, twitter's, I mean... twitter's closing down okay we're, we're mourning twitter oh dying. my god how good will that be for the community at large jesus christ reddit's bad enough could you imagine how much better the community will be when reddit when when twitter's got i mean i say that that's harsh because there's a lot of people that have a really good positive presence on twitter and i feel yeah. like they represent a really good um, aspect of the community i just feel like it gets diluted by the general like 80 percent schluck that um is twitter and unfortunately we aren't we aren't separate from general public consensus of things and how think how media is interpreted and reflected upon and expressed in opinions and i feel like twitter just can sometimes have such a uh republican versus conservative point of view of where you have to be all or nothing you know Whereas democrat versus like conservative that's it what did i say you said republican, republican. who are the american conservatives Good, great, good. See, that's my understanding of things. Either way, <laughs> you either say all or nothing, and I feel like that's kind of a bad stance to take on um, on anything. I feel like don't create extremes. You want to kind of sit on a nice middle ground, at least have a point of conversation that's somewhat mediated. And I feel like current politics dictate that in terms of media, in terms of you know personal expression, blah 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 blah. So maybe Elon Musk did the right thing by trying to buy Twitter out and then failing and doing so. Who knows? We'll find out in the, um, in the foreseeable future. I don't know if the right thing is is the way I'd phrase that. He definitely did a thing. He did a and thing, it, yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> anyway, what are we talking about? Anyway, talking- magic! <laughs> magic the Gathering, right? Uh, we are... Gathering. We are continuing on with our story reviews of the mm. Brothers War story arc. Um, we don't usually do the side stories all as one big thing like we do our main stories. Because uh, this week we're doing the side stories or episodes as they're called. Because I can't, you know, they have to do it for the tabs on the website. I don't really consider these to be main stories or side stories. It's the yeah. chapters. So these are the chapters, episodes. yeah, which is silly. I don't know. Yeah, well, these, these ones are episodes, I think. And yeah, the, the past ones were chapters, right? That's how they kind of. Um, I don't know. This one's chapter one stronghold. I feel like these are the chapters and the episodes were the were the other ones. Oh, yeah, you're right. right. Yeah, you're right. See, this is the thing. It shouldn't be so confusing. Why should there be chapters and episodes? It's this not confusing. I'm just an idiot. Anyway, show. anyway, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Two different energies. Um, <laughs> we're doing the past ones, uh, written by Reinhardt. Oh, I'm immediately going to mess up the name. Sorry. Uh, Reinhardt Suarez. Um, whereas the last lot were written by Miguel Lopez. Um, and we're going to go talk about the present stories, which are pretty cool. Um, we're, I'm just going to do a very, this is genuinely an incredibly quick rundown of the uh, different uh, chapters because I don't want to take 10 minutes. Um, so I'm just going to fly through it and then we'll discuss it all. Just a little word on Reinhardt Suarez. Uh, they are not a brand new magic author. Uh, they have done previous stories in both Strixhaven and in uh, what would have been Crimson Vow mm-hmm. with Survivors. Um, so yeah, they they are now like a, a sort of you know mainstay of magic story. Got given a whole arc for this side story bid. And instead of the 
past, I'm you know, with albeit with Teferi being there and you know it 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 technically being in the present. In the same way like the the Assassin's Creed games are actually in the present, but you're you're in the past. Like Teferi's in the Animus and he's gone back in time. Sure, yeah, I like that. That's a good you know analogy. I mean, I mean the Vorthos cast recently did a um, Beyond the Multiverse episode about Assassin's Creed, and I played all the initial Desmond Miles Assassin's Creed games, so I, I've got it sort of it's it's in my brain. Uh-huh. Um, the whole Adam the, and Eve thing, really cool. Yeah, all that bollocks. <laughs> um, this is actually in the present and does focus mostly on the present, with the usual mm-hmm. smattering which Magic does, where you dive into like one character's kind of backstory a little bit, but it's actually is very much framed in the present. Um, so here we go. Go to Blitz through Queens Can. Uh, we have Chapter One which is called Stronghold. Uh, Chapter 1 sees Teferi, Kaya, Sahili, Joda, and Ren begin to work on the temporal anchor and try to convince a grief-stricken Elsbeth to join the fight upon learning of Ajani's completion. Uh, Vivian Reed is also knocking around, and she arrives to give news about Tezzeret and Ourobrax's dissension uh, on Phyrexia, or against Phyrexia. Uh, we then move swiftly on to Chapter 2, Antiquities, where Sahili continues to try and fail to build the Temporal Anchor, and we see into her past on Kaladesh, which is something we've never really dived into too much. Mm. Uh, specifically, an instant in which she and Gonti uh, have an interaction. Gonti, the Lord of Luxury, and the uh, what would, Etherborn, that's what they're called, isn't it? The Etherborn mm. criminal kingpin, uh, kidnaps Sahili because his mechanical heart is uh, starting to fail. They blackmail her into fixing the heart. Uh, and we also have uh, a look into how Sahili, who is just a source of joy and beauty in her entire personage, kind of gets a different perspective of morality and, you know, kind of finds her way through the whole situation. She uses the knowledge of when she fixed the heart to basically get the temporal anchor working. Uh, and meanwhile, Joda discovers a pocket dimension... <laughs> inside hmm. Urza's Starfield Orb, uh, which may also hold the secrets to winning the Phyrexian War. The Starfield Orb, I, I went back and looked it up in the 2018 Dominaria stories, and it is the same orb that Teferi gets when in his kind of story, because he wasn't the main focus of those stories. No. It, no, it's the one where we are reintroduced to Teferi, and he's in that kind of escape room puzzle box temple yeah he does like a indiana jones kind of thing yeah yeah, it's very easy to forget this is something we said about like the ren um the tangled Mm. um episode where we're like there are definitely clearly episodes where they drop them in the side stories that you could very easily miss that have like actual relevance to the modern story Mm. um like i guess moon silver key probably has maybe less relevance now than, than that thing might do in the future but it was really interesting to say like oh this wasn't just a random thing they had a whole episode that you could have forgotten about and if you go and reread it it's a really cool little bit of fiction and it's a really nice mm. a nice progression of him and his interaction with urza like years on especially now in if we talk about it in concert with um how teferi interacted with urza at the end of the episodes um it's kind of interesting to mm. see how urza and teferi keep having these like tutor versus student interactions even years after mm. you know urza's death and teferi's like progression past being a student of his um so yeah it's kind of nice to see this like the dead isn't the, the the past isn't really dead. The past is still very much affecting the now, the future, and the past again through you know wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff. Yeah, which is a big theme in both of the chapters and the episodes. So yeah, mm. that Starfield Orb, which is the MacGuffin in that little ep- uh, episode from 2018, turns out to be a pocket dimension meant for to ferry. Uh, from Urza that has a bunch of constructs or like memories of different people from Urza's life, like Mishra and uh, I think is it Kayla's there, uh, Bing Krug, or is it? I, I think it was. Was it not? Um, um, oh, uh, the the sleeper agent was it the sleeper agent? Oh yes, that was in there? Zancha, Zancha. Yeah, yes. so anyway, yeah, like yeah. it's a little pocket dimension that we don't quite know the significance of yet, but it's nice to see the Starfield Orb coming back. Uh, Chapter 3 focuses on Tezzeret and Phyrexia. We get a completely different um, sort of viewpoint. Uh, and we are privy to Khan's holy dissection by all of the priests on uh, Elish Norn's new Phyrexia. Um, mm. And we uh, we see Tezzeret basically get really fucking tired of dealing with the Phyrexians. He was promised a dark steel body uh, as opposed to his current Ethereum one, which is currently being rotted away. Which by would the be cool as shit, right? 
Yeah, he's gonna get Tezzer it. Having a... Yeah, he's not getting it. Of course, he's, he's not, not getting, getting it. it. Tezra realizes he's, he's not gonna get it, um, and we have a little interaction <laughs> with Elish Norn, basically sort of treating Tezra like the lapdog that Bolas always did, and the you know Infinite Consortium and all these kinds of people. Tezra has always been the the lapdog, despite being insanely powerful himself. Um, mm. And we basically see the the real fruition of Tezra's uh, sort of rebellion against the Phyrexians. Um, we also see a lot of interaction between Elishnorn and Khan because they uh, Elishnorn kind of considers Khan like a partner and a father at the sort of same sort of time. Like she's the mother of machines, he's the father of machines, and she treats him as like this kind of holy being. So Khan's going to get all spooky again, I think, but maybe in a slightly different way to last time. Um, and we also see an allusion to some elite quote unquote soldiers uh, created by Rona, um, who's back uh, for Elishnorn. So there's definitely going to be some sort of imperial guard motherfuckers turning up <laughs> that are like Elish Norns, like royal guards or some shit. Uh, imperial, royal, can I use those both at the same time? I don't know. Yeah, um, absolutely. Chapter four, uh, we have some more planeswalkers joining the Urza's Tower, um, which is where they're all held up for this kind of, what I've dubbed like the Gatewatch Plus um, kind of thing. Chandra's now there, uh, and she starts to grieve about Jaya Ballard's death death and confides in Joda, who is also going through the same process, but their grief manifests in them getting really drunk together and celebrating the life of J- of Jaya, which is a really cool, nice d- development. Really loved, I'm not going to focus on it too much later, so I'll say now, I really love Chandra in these uh, stories. I'm not a big yeah. Chandra fan, and I think that's pretty obvious. But in these ones, I thought they got her character right. Like, this is the kind of Chandra I would want to see, right? Um, they also start to draw out Elspeth out of her own grief over uh, her many fallen comrades, because not only is she lost... Ajani, she's also lost Daxos, and she's lost Venza. Venza's actually the one that they focus on a little bit, but it kind of gets all brought out. Um, and this is overtaken. This chapter four is is the 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 biggest one. This is like got the most sort of like beat for beat things going on as they're having this kind of grief stricken celebration. Uh, a Phyrexian attack happens towards the Urza's tower. Um, this is going to lead to Elspeth and Joda leading the defense with a bunch of constructs that Sahili's made from a bunch of plans found in Urza's tower. Joda uses Elspeth's kind of light magic, if you like, or faith magic, to trigger a spell that he has possessed from Jaya, as he claims that fire and light magic are kind of very closely linked. This explosion of magical energy destroys half the uh, army sent to defeat them, but this turns out to just be a distraction because Rona, with another uh, force, is attacking the tower directly as opposed to out in the fields in front of the tower. Uh, Rona mortally wounds Joda at the end of this battle. Elspeth defeats Rona, doesn't kill her, and then Tezzeret comes up to mop up the uh, sort of aftermath Elizabeth's trying to get the halo from her halo sword that she found on Nuka Penna, or was gifted on Nuka Penna, to try and heal Joda, and Tezzeret basically whisks Rona away to sort of keep his cover while still not, you know, really wanting to save Rona at all. Um, this story, interestingly, is intercut with sort of uh, maybe like two to three hundred word paragraphs of dream-like musings, I'm going to say, on different characters across the multiverse, people like Calix gets like a little weird interjection about like the nature of Calix um, mm. as a planeswalker. Like uh, for people who don't remember who Calix is, it was uh, oh my god, wh- wh- what's the name of the god? I used to play her on Arena. Clothis. Clothis, thank you. Uh, it's Clothis's sort of demigod champion that then had a planeswalker spark like, and is eternally yeah, of destined sorts, to I suppose, follow yeah. Elspeth. We don't. We don't want to get into it. It's it's weird. Yeah, he's, it's he's complicated, and we don't like it. Like, yeah, it ruins the whole continuity. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, these little dreamlike sequences at the very end we get is are the words of Ashiok, who basically thanks Elspeth mm. for frightening uh, Elish Norn so much that it's given Ashiok like a new lease of like, oh, I want a toy with this Frexian. Yeah, these little love letters crazy. were delightful, weren't they? Yeah, like, really cool. Out of nowhere, unnecessary, but love seeing more Ashiok. Fantastic. Yeah, like just just. Why not? Like, yeah. Anyway, I'll get into it. I've got a real like. I've got a real love for what uh, they've done with these stories in terms of the magic. Um, magic, exactly. Magic. Um, <laughs> chapter five, which is the last one, we see the tower battle. So whilst the field battle is going on, the tower battle is now getting a fresh perspective from none other than Nissa. Nissa Ravines mm-hmm. joined the the tower crew, um, and after arguing with Chandra about the morality of violence and war, um, immediately jumps into the battle with Ren, which is a cool little team up. Ren and Nissa, match made in heaven. Um, Nissa struggles to communicate with Gaia, 
who is all is the world soul of Dominaria, or are they? Separate? Yes. Yeah. No. No. Is, they, right? they are. They are. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, Nissa initially uh, struggles to communicate with Guy because the land's been so polluted, and it was almost like Dominaria doesn't really want to give in to Nissa's power. Eventually, she gets over that, um, and with the help of more constructs and elementals, pushes back the Phyrexian uh, assault. However, the assault does leave the tower and the temporal anchor pretty much completely destroyed, with Teferi mm. still inside the coffin, um, which is kind of his container within the temporal uh, anchor, and they don't quite know how to get Teferi out. The story ends with Teferi still kind of being trapped within the magic of the anchor, with the anchor destroyed. It's kind of a big deal. Um, Jace then arrives, fucking Jace, uh, Jace. and basically with Jace. with other planeswalkers, Raska, the Wanderer, Kaito, Tyvar, sexy Tyvar. Oh. Got such a huge, huge crush on Tyvar. Like, Everyone in the multiverse has a giant crush on his his shirtless bod. He it's gets kind of a little bit crazy. On, and they're like, does he not know how to put on a shirt? Uh huh. Twice, <laughs> I think it's mentioned him. twice. It's like, dude, don't don't put him in a pocket. Don't Let force him. him. Don't put him in a shirt. I'll rip it off with my goddamn no. teeth. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love it. He's great, um, and maybe less sexy or sexy in a very different toxic way. Luca is also there. Yeah, <laughs> Kaito's as well is there as well, right? Because that's yes, that yeah. was the thing. Wonder and Kaito are put together, which there are some question marks that we'll come. I'm sure we'll come to when we just talk, talk yeah. about this when we get to episode five. There are some question marks, but yeah, yeah. Um, Lu- uh, Jace is there basically to confirm that the multiplane defense plan that they've all been sort of mentioning um, is basically set in motion. They also there's also been loads of uh, allusions to the Mirrens on New Phyrexia are planning a revolution, which you know is good hope for us getting another cough, which is cool. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. By the way, Cost alive will... confirmed. Oh yeah, he's definitely out alive, of nowhere. So uh, well, it's not <laughs> great. It's good. Not it's, been, it's been built up for years. Let's let's be fair. Um, it has, but the lack of confirmation. Anyway, yeah, finish, finish the blurb. We can I'm, get I'm so close. That, really. <laughs> this was meant to be less than ten minutes. <laughs> Um, the Gatewatch Plus disband to all their planes of interest. Most of them, it's their home planes, but not all of them. We then get an epilogue uh, after that story kind of finishes, like, boom, that's it now. And then we have the very traditional magic story cliffhanger epilogue, which they love to do, and I, I think is also a great tooling device. Uh, it shows Teferi, who is no longer sort of a time ghost. He's fully corporeal, um, so not the same sort of thing as when he was in the past stories. Hmm. Uh, he's awoken on a beach on an unknown location, far away from either the Brothers' War or the present events in Urza's Tower. And I've seen a few theories, but they leave it real ambiguous. To my mind, it's completely ambiguous as to where he it is. It is, yeah. Yeah. They give no real direct hint. We just do all this assumption based on the fact that we have this expectation in our minds, which I'm sure, again, we'll have a little discussion on a little bit later. But yeah. yeah. Um. So, yeah. You asked me just before we, we, did, we started the actual, like... Uh, podcast where what I thought about these stories and I'm gonna say I think this is off the top this is some of the best writing that magic has in a kind of micro way and a macro way but it also has an example of what I think is the worst of magic's offering in magic story and it's it's not like that this is the worst line that they've done but it's an example of why I think magic isn't taken seriously narrative wise but it's also, broadly speaking, indicative of some of the best that magic has to offer. And that's yeah. going to be a real tricky <laughs> balance yeah. for me in this conversation. I agree with you, you know? like I feel like on a grand scale, they've done really well across both chapters and episodes to convey a time that we weren't presently aware of, that gave it some backdrop without having to conform to, like... like so those that already knew about the brothers, well, we talked about this last episode, right? I mean, it might have been a while ago for us in real time, but you know, for mm. everyone else, it was last episode. We talked, we talked about how they did, they did justice to the brothers' war as a retrospective story arc, because they didn't just do an homage to it, but they they built up beyond what the set kind of gave. If anything, antiquities didn't represent the brothers' war as well as a modern magic story set can. Because back then they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. Mm. You know, they just chucked everything out there. They thought, it, it, you know, through through the spaghetti on the wall and some of it stuck. And it was, you know, there's nothing bad in terms of like, you know, Antiquities isn't treated as a set that was poor. But in terms of like story relevance and expression and stuff, outside of the set, if you didn't read the big ass books, you had no idea what was going on. The set didn't really convey that very well. And Brothers War as a set, as we'll get into next episode, when we talk about our flavor picks, like I feel like does a much better job of conveying that timeline 
than the original set did. And as a story arc, the little vignettes that we get of 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 um, individual stories across that 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 history, you know that you know several you know about a hundred years say of the brothers war they did a really good job of it and then mm. this these five these five um fuck i've scrolled to the top because i forgot as well chapters, chapters. Yeah, these five <laughs> chapters yeah fucking i forgot as well it's terrible um these five chapters do a really good job of being like yeah that's happening but also we need to keep the modern story going up until a point and then at some point it just feels like they went all right we already did it we did it well for a little bit we can just chuck it out the window now. It doesn't matter anymore. Um, and and I, I don't know if that's the perspective you take and that's where you under, mm. undercut it, but I undercut it in the same fashion. It just got to a certain point. I was like, this is great. This is great. This is great. Oh, oh I guess we're back in War of the Spark again. Great. Amazing. Fuck it, no, whatever. see, I actually, I really disagree. Honestly, I think it's interesting that's your takeaway because I was, I like you actually, was directly comparing this to War of the Spark and in the same breath comparing it to Dominaria mm. United because like we said for the Dominaria United story, it felt like it was it was a War of the Spark level event, but again, slightly fell short because it was trying to do all the things all at once, right? Yeah, so the gravity one, didn't land. Yeah, it just didn't land. There was too many characters. There was too much stuff. It was too much like, hey, remember all these guys? They're cool. And you're like, yeah, I really <laughs> remember want to remember Rada. Oh, she's here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's like I don't want to have to also comp- like have to shove this truck of a narrative up a hill while saying hello to all my friends like on the way you know is we've got to do yeah. one thing or the other um so there you know that's maybe a late, weird narrative but whereas with this one i sincerely felt the way that they like the ashiok vignettes or like you know chandra and nissa are there but they're not like they have a paragraph where they sniff and snipe at each other and then they kind of get on with it like the fact that they just drop in like oh hey here are these other planeswalkers they're here for a reason they're not the focus but we know because of previous stories what they're about like the wanderer and kaito and you know even luca i mean he was in the strixhaven story and then he's kind of here so it's like okay cool these people are fresh in our minds but because they will have a purpose to be there not just to be like hey check me out i'm doing a thing and then pissing off again very much yeah like, here's your white red representation here's your yeah, green, yeah, yeah. Black or like urtai in the in the in the dominaria united it was like that didn't need to be urtai that could have been yeah any he didn't need to be general. there didn't need to unless be there. he has gravity going forwards in which case fine cool we'll talk about that when it comes yeah. to it but in the moment it felt a bit like remember this guy it's like yeah yeah Oh, we thought so he for was me, dead. the casual way that <laughs> they Reinhardt uh, Suarez has brought these people in, I'm just like, cool, fine. They're here for a reason. The fact that they are free to planeswalk around as well makes sense. The fact that we know that Urza's tower is kind of the HQ, so mm-hmm. Jace will bounce in with the planeswalkers, be like, by the way, these guys are on our side, and fuck off to what they're doing. I kind of liked that. I I will tell you what my big failure was, just to get it out of the way, because I, I don't want to be down on this stories, or in, in fact the writing, because I think, again, that this is broadly an example of magic at its absolute best. And I've got way more examples of the good than the bad. There mm. is one line that I'm like, this this is the reason why it can't be taken seriously. And why magic and nerd culture in general, I'm going to get quite big here, I think Ooh. has a problem with its own sense of humor. This is it. This is my big, spicy, hot take, right? Hot take 2022. Let's go. The line is... Wait, wait, slow down, Joda said. Exactly how does one create ghosts? I mean, apart from the obvious way of, you know, killing people. Mm. That joke, because it's a joke, it's Joda being Jokey Joda, that is... <laughs> Let's not call him Jokey Joda. <laughs> hey, it's Jokey Joda. Um... <laughs> JJ. <laughs> Yo, it's hey, Ark JJ. Oh, oh, we hate it. Hey, hey, anyway. That, that joke... <laughs> Is is uh, is like the, the result of meme culture, <laughs> and what I mean by that is, is that if you look at that joke, exactly how does one create ghosts? I mean, apart from the obvious way of you know killing people, the line of you know killing people is not the punchline. That's not the punchline to what Joda said. The punchline is exactly how does one create ghosts? I mean, apart from the obvious way, and you yeah. can stop it there, and Leave you it. can trust your audience to go. I'm going to fill in the blanks with my brain. What does he mean by the obvious way? Oh, he means killing people. Very clever, JJ. Very clever. That's what should have happened, right? That's a joke because that's filling... That's There's an illusion. That's yeah. expectation of an audience. That's filling in blanks for yourself. You see it. Comedians do it all the time. And I'm not... I don't profess to be an expert on comedy. I am a very much a fan of comedy and I've heard people much better than me talk about it. And you want the audience to fill in the blanks, even on a throwaway yeah. line. 
You don't and, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and then and then say the, the joke. Wink, wink, right? nudge, nudge. Yeah, That's exactly. exactly what they've done. They go, you know, apart from the obvious way, dot, 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 of you know, killing people. And you think, because that's meant to be like, oh, you're killing people. What are you like, JJ? But that's, oh, you know, the joke's already done. Yeah. It, and, and what you could even do to really spool it out is you could have him go, oh, except for the obvious way. And then have someone else like Chandra, for example, go, what, you mean killing people? Like, and then that adds, that would add a layer on because either uh-huh. she doesn't get it and she's being an idiot, ha ha, or she does get it and she's being petulant, which is also funny in another way, right? And she's making yeah. fun of Joda. So, I'd, but the reason this bugged me so much is because a it doesn't trust. It shows a real lack of trust in the audience when it comes to humor, because there's so much other heavy shit, both sad and tragic and violent and all the kind of big stuff that Suarez really does trust you with. But for some reason, the jokes have to be like it's like a meme. We all understand the nuanced layers, but the nuanced layers make up. It's, memes are really interesting because they, they rely on a, a shared sense of time and interpretation that we all share. Yeah. But the joke is still it because it's usually a picture as well or whatever or like it's you know, left up to the interpretation of the of the well, of the uh, audience member rather than just telling them what they should well, take it's, away it's, from it. It's more like you and I both know what like a SpongeBob mean meme means in a context but the very nature of it is like it's going here's the joke do you know what i mean and i think that nerd culture and twitter culture and a lot of stuff these days the joke is to be like this is funny right and everyone goes yeah because we all understand why it's funny like uh, you know i I don't i don't want to go too deep into that but i just feel like this is and this is the kind of joke you see over and over again in magic writing it's not just this author it's the kind of thing again and again you see where it's like they don't give and... faith to the audience understanding the thing and the yeah the humor already. is always really kind of childish and on the nose and I just yeah. just that for me in a really wanky really <laughs> way if they just cut that last line it would have been flawless but that is like a massive pothole of me going oh yeah they don't fucking give me any credit <laughs> do yeah. you know what I mean you know this is just a card is... game. It's not just not giving credit to you slash the audience at large. It's not giving credit to Joda as a character, which is why mm-hmm. I feel like there's been like a general kickback against him. And I feel like in Dominaria, the original, I say the original set, um, as in the set that came out, you know, where with Slimboda and Historic and all that stuff. I can't remember what year it was. But Joda seemed to just be like an add-on, right? And even in the story, he wasn't mm. anything more than Joyra's potential, you know, past squeeze. You know, oh, he's he's thousands of years old in this other way, you know, that six other people within the set or automatically gain immortality from. Mm. Um, and I feel like the problem with Joda is that in some points in this story arc, like they do a really good job of presenting his length of life you know and his presence throughout the eras and generations of history of the sets really well and sometimes it just makes him sound like a bit of a bit of a goof because mm. as someone who's three thousand years old you wouldn't explain your own joke you'd get to the they've even said like you know like within 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 these five stories that he finds it difficult sometimes to like care about the individual because he's seen, seen so many individuals go go through his you know go pass by his attention oh yeah he's way beyond the the worries yeah. of like a mortal life so why yeah. the fuck would he explain a basic joke that a joke that he's probably i'm all right no i'm i'm 31 right i've made some jokes about 17 times in my life and maybe every now and again i get to a point where i've said a joke <laughs> enough times that i have to then explain the joke because you know, I feel like I need to deliver it a little harder. Well, it's, it's like but you're I, saying a meme I'm to sad someone, and pathetic. but they don't understand the layers yeah. of it. So you, yeah, you I, forget I, I'm 31. I'm not 3100 years old, so why the fuck would he have to justify his joke to someone? Yeah, this yeah. is what you mean, where you, where you say you take someone like Chandra, who's young and impulsive, you know, weird, like, red mage, and they're more likely to be the kind of person to call them out on the punchline and undermine mm. it and stuff, but why would you have your, you know, millennia years old like character who should have a lot more gravitas and there's one thing to be said for like oh how does he not have not have more magical ability i'm like cool fine power scaling is its own drama especially in something like magic is it any science fiction slash fantasy media it's really difficult to have effective power power scaling because you constantly need there to be a bigger badder you know, One Punch Man tries to do this really, really well. And even then, they're going to write themselves into a corner. I don't really understand how One, one Punch Man can't eventually be stuck. Um, <laughs> but with someone like Joda, 
who's supposed to be super all-in-powerful. And they even did this with Teferi of where they even mentioned in a random line. I can't remember what chapter it is, but it was like, I could levitate up there, but, you know, my wife taught me that sometimes putting one foot in front of the other is more important than using magic to solve your problems. Like, great, cool. You've just silenced a bunch of the masses complaining about how Teferi doesn't have the abilities he had before because you're recanonizing him to be a worse mage than he no, was no, no. before he's being he's being a, he's being a better person <laughs> he's being a better person sure yeah that's how they justify it sure well, someone he's, like Chona, he's like, not being a worse he's, he's not being what urza was urza yeah he's not being lazy the ultimate mage. yeah yeah, yeah but then enough. so that's it i don't want to i don't want to dwell on it too long i'm just saying that that is and it's not again it's not even that line it makes it sound like i'm having a go at this author i'm just saying that is the snapshot of me going as an example right? here this is what we should stop fucking doing and it might just yeah. be because as english people we often get accused of the stereotype of having the incredibly dry wit which is ridiculous because mm. we have the fucking carry on films in, in our history <laughs> Yeah. Ugh, whatever, really, but do you know what really I mean? Like... Sometimes you know, boobs and stuff, <laughs> <laughs> boobs and entendre. But do you know what I mean? It's like for anyone, for anyone who doesn't know what the Carry On films are, please don't look them up. It's utter trash, uh, and I'm embarrassed to have even mentioned it. Yes, um, but... it was it was in a different time. Things were fine back then. You could but, be well, sexist and bigoted again <laughs> as an English person. If we use the phrase "it was a different time" to justify half our shit, then it's going to be a oh, very God. long podcast. Our entire but history is awful. Anyway, <laughs> well, yeah, right, not. Carry On. <laughs> So I'm just going to have that as the example of like going forward. This is what I mean when I say sometimes I think magic doesn't take itself seriously enough, or maybe not serious in the right way. But however, at the other end of the scale, we get passages such as this, and this is from I think it's chapter two. I didn't number these, but it's where Teferi is basically trying to talk to Elizabeth, who is grief-stricken and tired from her time on Capenna and has all the doubts of herself and Teferi having a second thought as to whether he should be pushing people into what they're doing and just kind of having a a little self-examination and the passage, I'm going to read the whole thing Teferi took his time with a response, it was a simple matter to say the truth was the truth isn't that what a great leader a battle-hardened general would say, isn't that what everyone needed him to be who was the true Teferi? Was it Teferi, Mage of Zalfir, who placed Defender's home no matter what the cost? Was it Teferi, Master of Time, the elitist, nigh-omnipotent planeswalker, who thought everyone should simply get in line and follow? Or was it Teferi, the disruptive student, who used cruel humour to obscure his own fears that no one would ever understand him, that no one would ever consider him a friend? Get out of your head, look with your eyes. Are you hungry? Teferi asked. Mm. Why can't it always be like this? Right, right. <laughs> well, like, this is, is such a incredible. better presentation of someone who's lived millennia than the whole, you know, apart from when you kill them, you know, whatever, mm. you know, like, it's such that a better representation of timelessness. Good. You know, and I feel like sometimes I kind of, I, I, I guess it depends on, and it's an interesting thing, right? As an author, what gravity do you give to a cast of characters when half of them have millennia of experience? Do you need to make mm. some of them more naive? Do you need to make some of them more worldly known? Do you need some of them to be the major, some of them to be the minor? What do you deal with when you've got six characters all stuck in a room and you're like, cool, right? So you're only writing this one chapter slash one episode. Obviously difficult here because uh, Reinhardt did the, the whole five. But if, for example, you pick up a random magic story and you've got, you've got all these characters and if you know the magic story a little bit, you're like, I've got... 12,000 years of age in this room right now. Mm. How do I balance the major and the minor in this role? And I feel like Teferi, and we've said this for, for, for a while, we've said this across multiple sets, a multiple, I guess it might even come up to a year now. Teferi increasingly gets better and better representation mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. someone who is worldly and timely known. Someone who has perspective on the, on the on the individual as well as the grand. And what I think is the best thing about this little little um, set is that it's given humanity to Fairy Web. Some people might say, like, oh, deference of, like, oh, he's just some random old dude who knows shit. It's like, no, he's very clearly flawed. He's very clearly checking himself on his flaws, and he's very clearly trying to communicate and better himself as an individual based on his flaws to other people, be them younger or older. He's trying to fix relationships with Khan. We did that in the um, Escape Room episode yep. in Dominary yep. United, and now he's trying to do it back, trying to reconnect with other people. Like It's a really clean way of representing a character who, from a card point of view, 
is a douche. No one likes playing against a fairy. Yeah, it's, so, any story, it's so hard, isn't it? Yeah. Right, but as as a story, as in terms of story, like you could you could bullshit the timey wimey stuff really badly, and it doesn't seem to happen with Teferi's. It seems to be so well. It's such a well well constructed character that the representation we see narratively from him always seems to be very fair, seems to be very objective. And yet you don't just see objectiveness because he's uncaring. You see objectivity because of his subjective point of view that he then takes out of himself. And it's those kind of circumstances that are really humbling and really easy to engage with. Yeah. Do you know, this might be, this might come across as quite unfair to people who like Chandra and Nissa, who are both very popular characters. But I think this is me, this is personal. And this might be why I don't gel with them as much. And why maybe someone like Arlen Cord and Teferi, these characters I gel with a bit more because I do put them in the sort of same category. When it comes to them as mages and their powers in a fantasy setting, a lot of Chandra and Nissa's and other planeswalkers with their kind of uh, attitude towards their writing, it just sort of seems to be like, Chandra's a fire mage, therefore she's really impulsive and rah, and then when she gets more impulsive and rah, her powers get more fiery, and she explodes with a, a thing, and she makes everything go on flame. And then Nissa, all of her powers are about you know nature and nurture and you know, the nature, she uses yeah. the nature to destroy things and then like, all of her doubts and all of her kind of rage and everything gets put into why can't i talk to the world soul oh, a no, one-dimensional solution yeah it's just it, it's like they're it's like their personalities are there to serve the fact that they're the they're these archetypal mages this maybe this is just something i'm thinking of now it's, it sounds kind of bullshit as i say well i thought but jace does like, the same thing right but yeah i get what you mean yeah and then someone like teferi or Arlen Cord, they have these powers. Like Arlen Cord is a werewolf. I don't know really what her mage powers are, other than being a werewolf. Not all the planeswalkers have like mage powers. But then, and then Teferi is a chronomancer or a time mage. But their powers, although they do inform their personality, and their personality gets fed into their powers in in small ways, a lot of it is to do with them as people trying to mm. wrangle with the pressures of having those powers. Teferi, as a character, in that passage that I've just spoken about or just read off. It is that is a history of Teferi as a person and a character, who is someone who has the power of time manipulation and therefore basically is a god because that's the best that's the most powerful thing you can have is power over time because time defeats everything else. So how does he as a person factor that into him as a human being? And Arlen Cord having to live her life in a church, how does she factor in that she is now a monster versus her as a devout angel worshipper mm-hmm. and also? loyal to her pack they're not there to service sparkly magic the sparkly magic is there to put them in a box for creativity as, as a character and i think and that's why that. yeah for me that's why i drive more with those characters other people i think do enjoy the fact that people's powers are more manifested more emotionally to who they are and i'm not trying to say actually that chandra and nissa don't have depth I, again i say in this very story arc i think chandra showed a lot of depth, more depth than she's had in a long time. Mm. I just sometimes feel it's very easy to be like Chandra go flame, you know, and that's yeah. that's all she does. Maybe yeah, that's that's, what a, it is. that's an interesting thing point. I, 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 so I guess so. I'm gonna put a pin on the Chandra thing mm. um, for a moment, just to state that. Do you reckon that the reason why you can find more depth and interest in these people is because they're the whole point is that they're not. The mageness of them, you know, the fact they're a wizard, a pyromancer, a chronomancer isn't the focus because we can't relate to that kind of thing because imagine yourself as a chronomancer or as a pyromancer, you know. As a flame mage, I've always thought this um, when I'm writing like, you know, headcanon or fan fiction and stuff. I've always thought being a flame mage is really fucking boring (laughs) in terms of a fantasy setting. But as a right, normal right, human right, being, right, right. controlling fire would be the most sick thing in the fucking world. Like, that'd be crazy. That's crazy cool. But in a fantasy setting, having that as your only thing you could do, being be like like a lightning mage or a water mage, you know, or, or anything like that, that's fairly base, you know? That's not exactly super expressive. And if anything, it is going to define all of your attributes because everything in media defines by elemental, you know, qualities. If you're air, you tend to be far away and not very focused. If you're earth, you're super stubborn and, you know, unmovable. If you're fire, you're super passionate. If you're water, you're flexible, blah, 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 blah. And these are like stereotypes that have kind of permeated throughout media for generations. And I feel like the problem is that certain characters are written where they are human beings and they happen to have magical powers, whereas certain characters are written as this is the magical power and that defines the kind of human that they are. Yeah, I think that's um, 
and I feel that's the thing with magic as as as, as a you know a, a universe that we have to kind of write within and build cards within is that sometimes you're kind of shoehorned into what's the difference between Jaya and Chandra? They're both fire mages. Oh, Jaya's got specific fire quality. You know, mm. she can do like super like sniper flame magic, whereas Chandra can make an inferno that burns a, a, a sky Eldrazi, as we've mm. seen. You know, so at that point you kind of like shoehorn yourself by not creating a quality character but creating a quality ability and then how does the character balance out beyond that and Teferi probably throughout his longevity has a fantastic ability to kind of go beyond his chronomancy because we know he can also do levitation we know he can also do a few other abilities and stuff like that Arlen as well like as you say we don't know what her mage ability is per se which actually gives her full autonomy on terms of her personality and the way that she translates into story arcs and things like that, because cool, she's good with wolves. So that actually makes the personal struggle that she has and the way that she lives her life on her own plane and then how she interacts with other planes and the fact that she's a werewolf mm. makes that way more interesting. The fact that like I go beast mode, I fight and bite things, you know, which is the equivalent of say someone like Jace or Chandra, which is like, I mind mage, I flame mage, you know, and maybe that's the problem they had with the Gatewatchers. They made this whole, oh, we've got a necromancer, we've got a battle mage, we've got a flame mage, we've got a nature mage, we've got a mind mage. And that's why no one really like could get on board with it because no one is a mind mage or flame mage. No yeah, one's any yeah. of these things, you know? Yeah, like the worst thing, but the, yeah, the close thing you could get is to is maybe like, you know, like the tactician aspect of Gideon and they killed him off because he was boring as fuck. You know, so maybe it's more interesting now that we've got these people that are nuanced. And this is why people probably speak very largely and, and grandiosely about like the old novels is because they gave texture to people they weren't just urza wasn't just an artificer we're talking about and i think we're going to come to this at some point soon because i want to talk about this um in the flavor picks as well is that this is a time in the past of not magic people not everyone's just funneled into what's your craft what's the, the magic that you do everyone's just human beings dealing with things in the same way that modern na- nowadays you know earth human beings are dealing with things of being more good with words or being more good with machines or whatever mm. you know that's actually way more easily relatable like quietly she's a poet that's so much more accommodating to, to, to most people's minds than being like, I have affiliation with dinosaurs. Imagine if she was dinosaur yeah. mage. No one would care. So I feel yeah. like that has a big, big thing about, and especially now that we see these grand casts, how are their, stereotype, how are their stereotypes communicated? Tyva, funny because doesn't wear a shirt. Cool. Wanderer can't stay on a plane for very long. Now, that doesn't actually say anything about her character, which makes her interesting because then we might work out something about her character. But if you tell mm. me, oh, Water Mage or even someone like um, Cura, okay, Leviathan Mage, like, I, I, there's, there's very little to permeate beyond that. So I feel like this is why I think things like War of the Spark and sometimes, like, maybe this might happen over the next year where we have this much of the machine, all will be one kind of arc, but we've got all these random planeswalkers that are all involved in the same story arc. Is if all you are is a stereotype and nothing else of your character permeates beyond that, it's a lot harder to get on board with and understand and relate to and empathize with these people as opposed to, you know, the same similar initial proto-Gatewatch thing of where, oh, there are the five colors five different styles of people they were these five predominant you know it's almost like the colors of magic in general back in the day mm. had a very defined point of view and nowadays you can be a black mate you can be a black um mage and still be a good guy and you could be a white mage and still be a bad person you know like mm. the magic magic's color identity has diversified so magic's character identity should also diversify and i think this is why you don't like chandra because chandra is the red mage and Jaya, mm. as much as she was a better interpretation of that red mage, we didn't get that in the modern setting and then they killed her off. And now we're just stuck with just Chandra, you know? Mm. So I feel like that's probably what's happening in terms of the Teferi is Teferi's managed to be such an interesting textured blue mage from the get-go all the way through to now, you know? And, I th- and now his, his diversity is maybe even more more expressed and more diversely uh, understood than it mm. was before because they give a bit more breadth to him. And I think like, yeah, I feel that like sometimes with Nistra, I was like, oh, great, great, probably going to do something with ley lines. And that's boring up until the point of where she connects with Gaia, who's now sick of the shit with the Phyrexians because she's yeah. already dealt with it once already. And that was a really lovely point in chapter five where Nissa and Gaia are trying to find this communication. And Gaia's like, who the fuck are you? I've already dealt with this before. I don't care anymore. And Nissa's going like, no, but I know you've dealt with this before, but it's happening again. Like, please, like, can you not? I'm not even from your plane, you know? Like, I just, I understood your plight and this plight will spread beyond. And Gaia went, 
you know, let me show you all the history of heart, all the history of hurt that I've dealt with, all the history of anguish and death that I've dealt with. And if you can accept that and understand that, which is Nissa did, and then gave a nice little rebuttal to, then the guy went, okay, I didn't expect someone to actually understand the difficulty I faced, you know, because Titania and Argoth had to, fa- had to be the, the, you know, the dueling grounds of Mishra and Urza back in the Brothers, you know, the, the Brothers War culmination when the Silex triggered and was exploded. That was on Argoth, you know, a living, a living forest where Gaia was willing to give herself to Titania to be the incarnation on Dominaria of, 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 of the world soul. And it got, you know, silexed, <laughs> which is a pretty harsh thing to happen. And the fact that Nissa was able to kind of do that again with Ren. I mean, this is where like the past and the present are really well, com- like uh, culminated. And I feel like that's one of the things they did really well. Um, Reinhardt did really well with these, these five stories is that it kind of gave a, like if you look at the the episodes and how we kind of do a this is Teferi looking back at all the stuff that mattered back in the day and it has present consequence and you're like cool but you don't get the present consequence in the episodes so now you get the chapters going so these are all the current players that are doing the things right now and every now and again we get a hint at why the past consequence matters to the present consequence and that communication between Nissa and and Gaia I think was really important for us to see like all of the history of Dominaria matters to the now. You know, like all of the things that are happening before. This is now known as the second Phyrexian invasion. They were 4,000 years apart. Yeah. That's incredible. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous to think. And we'll talk about this again next episode when we talk about flavor picks, because I want to talk about Gix a lot. But like the history of the Phyrexians interaction with Dominaria is huge. And for the modern audience member, if you're not reading the stories, you're missing out on a lot because you're not going to understand it. But if you are just at least willing to read the modern stories and you haven't read the past stories, you'll at least understand that there is a history that has gravitas and a modern cast of characters that all have their own personal stake in the world. Again, maybe not in episode five where they just listed a bunch of random characters. Why the fuck is Nahiri here? I don't fucking know. I mean, no one knows. Oh, yeah, um, but, she you know, as well. <laughs> yeah, apparently, <laughs> apparently, you know, great, great, good. But like the actual interpersonal context of like those that were defending the tower. So we're talking about Nyssa, Ren, um, Joda, Teferi, uh, Sahili, Kaya, those kinds of characters that have recent relevance. And now that this recent relevance interacting with past relevance, and it's that interaction that is really nice. The fact that Chandra can mourn Jaya as much as Joda can isn't a mark against Jaya, it's a mark for her because she can unite like thousands of years of life together in the same random drink and a toast, you know? And I feel like yeah. that's between the episodes and the chapters, I feel like both of these things have been really communicated like very well. Like we got a little yeah. hint of Teferi interacting, but now the modern context when it's all like proto gatewatch which is what it kind of felt like a little bit at the end it didn't really matter in the end because no i liked it, it. the gatewatch wasn't you know a bad concept it's just it was it was very blandly done um yeah, but yeah all of all of this i think is to say that this is what this is incredible writing i think magic the fact that again we've gotten like two novellas worth which is you know you could argue all of the side stories and all of the main stories in the past online fiction count as novella length but these ones really felt like i was reading coherent books as opposed to individual episodes and i'm not Mm. saying the side story structure just to kind of talk about the structure of it this is one of the first times that they've done side stories that are literally just a like a continuation of a single narrative as opposed to like a life in the day and we've always on this podcast i think said that we champion the life of the day storytelling uh, ever since the Nikki Drayden uh, Ravnica stories, right? Which were infinitely better than anything else. No, sorry, obviously the Django Wexler chapters were obviously great, but better than the main narrative that we were presented with through the Yeah, the big stories, yeah. So I'm not saying that I would want to get rid of that style or that this one's better, but for what we're doing now, where we do have a lot of narrative and the fact that, you know, this is a big moment, getting whatever I said it was, like 40,000 words or whatever whatever I, I pegged it as last time, that's like a lot, and it's you, we've essentially read two books, you know, two short books. If if this was an audible, this would be like you know eight hours worth of listening, <laughs> which is you know for something where so like in our recent podcast memory of us doing this for the past two and a half years, we started going like, well, fuck, magic stories in a bit of a shit hole, isn't it? Is and look this? how far where has it been, and yeah. now it's here again. Yeah, and yeah. it's actually delivering, which is really really nice. Um, yeah. I just want to chat through some just very quick, like little mentiony things that I spotted in the narratives, like little like, oh fuck, they they spoke about that. Well, that's interesting. Uh, firstly, uh, Ren was found by Teferi on the plane of Crede or Crede, 
C-R-I-D-H-E, which had uh, a clan tree that had showers of intense mana. Um, I didn't know about this plane. I looked it up on Magic Wiki, and it's only been mentioned in a 2008 article on the Mothership once, which was just like explaining, oh, here are some other planes of the multiverse, which is really Mm. cool. Um, Shout out to the Moon Silver Key, (laughs) which is like a really integral part of the Temporal Anchor. And I really, really don't mean this as a diss to the uh, Crimson Vow Midnight Hunt stories, because they, I really enjoyed them. It's well documented. I said it at the time. Mm. I completely forgot that the Moon Silver Key was a yeah, thing. Yeah, it didn't need to be there, did it? Really, like it didn't right. matter. In the it end. was like the like, main thing of that story. When you've got I, six MacGuffins, how can you make each? But MacGuffin like, I think that's relevant. A, I, as the I'm last choosing. One. I'm choosing to believe that that is uh, a testament to the more interesting other shit going on in those, those stories, like sure. Arlen Cord's journey and uh, Soren's journey, right? That's yeah. better. Which so were predominantly more important. Yeah, yes, exactly. Sure. Um, little shout out to uh, Adeliz, the character Adeliz, who's the the Cinderwind? I can't remember. She's a uncommon... She was a Cinderwind. Blue... Yeah, well done. Yes, oh, well, exactly. yeah, nice one. She's a yeah, blue-red uncommon legendary from uh, Dominaria 2018 um, and isn't mentioned in any other stories. But this, uh, it says, Joya, I've got to go, he said, standing up. Give my love to Adeliz. I'm like, oh, sick. So Jorah is talking yeah. to Joda, and he's like, oh, shout out to that other Gitu mage. It's like, cool. That's a nice little shout out, bringing the world together. And um, finally, the thing that I little like, ooh, that's cool, uh, thing that I spotted was um, Khan did not speak, did not complain, while Hooks and Razors, the suture bishop's preferred exploratory appendages, prodded his mangled body. Uh, so we've had suture priests and now they've got suture bishops. Like, they're really going, like, Elish Norns of Phyrexian Catholic Church. <laughs> I mean, it really is, though, isn't it? And I, do you know what's funny? is We haven't spoken about that episode, because I was going to say, one of these episodes is not like the other. Mm-hmm. And I could, I could happily have ignored the four other episodes just for an episode of Tezzeret walking Khan back through the Mycosynth. Yeah, like Lattice Layer. Like, that was a really cool one. I don't know, maybe we'll come back to it um, in retrospect. Um, and I think we'll probably refer to this episode a lot when we start talking about um, One with the Machine. Uh, uh, March, all we won and March of the Machine. Um, because it was very much, it felt like, okay, let's just make sure we give a little bit of a hint to, in the same way that we got the Eurobrasque Tezzeret story in Nuka Penna. I felt way more invested in that episode in particular because it was like a ref. We've said this a few times of like I want to see point of view of the enemy. Mm. It makes their it makes their intentions more obvious. It makes their plights more obvious. It gives them more. I don't want to say the word humanity, but it gives them more texture. Right? It gives them a positive and a negative. You can see why they're doing what they're doing. It's not just we've got to fight this enemy, you know. And this enemy is a douche and they're evil and we hate them. They're killing everything. But if you get an understanding of why they're doing what they're doing, it creates a great, a, like a greater circumstance of why we're. Su- are we supporting the good guys? Is there a good guy perspective? Like are maybe so- I, I understand your point, but are you are you about to go? No. If we have a point of view of Phyrexia, we'll go like, ah, do you know what? They've got ah. a point. <laughs> no, but I'd rather have Elish Norn and know what her intentions are than just get Elish Norn the card and be like, cool, yeah, there's right, the bitch. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Let's kill it, her. You know, I'd rather at least have some. I'd rather have her voice. And that one of the best stories we've had is where we saw Ashiok and Elish Norn interacting because we saw Elish Norn fear Elspeth, mm-hmm. and now we have a greater perspective on why Elspeth's important. Because I felt a little bit like Elspeth was shoehorned into this story arc. I don't know why, but I think it's because she's always felt a little bit more detached. She was always connected with Ajani, but now Ajani's on the other side. It kind of felt like El- Elspeth was a little bit disjointed and Teferi couldn't connect with her very well and Joda couldn't connect very well with her and it's it's almost like she's she's still dealing with herself coming back from the dead and Ajana being completed and all this stuff and it kind of felt yeah, like there was a bit what? of a separation like Elizabeth, we haven't spoken about Elizabeth, and obviously she was a massive part of this arc. Yeah, well, um, episode four and five, she was like the she was the, was uh, the POV, protag, right? right? Yeah. So it's interesting, yeah, because but I, I I can see what you're saying because it's almost like we had her as the I mean obviously this is like pre-pandemic magic now. If we're going mm-hmm. by like real world timeline, she was the protag in Theros Beyond Death, and then she got Nuke Penna. And now she had these stories. She's not the protagonist of this arc at all, but the fact that she got these things of her coming off the back of that time. I kind of feel like Elspeth's... If I had to be like, 
who's the protagonist of all Magic the Gathering? It's not Jace. It's not Chandra. Mm. I don't know if it's Teferi. I kind of oh, feel really? like a lot... I'd say it was Teferi. Well, interesting. interesting. I sort of feel like the backdoor protagonist of Magic the Gathering is is Elspeth Terrell. She's everywhere. She's, she knows everyone. I would everyone. feel like... I would feel like that more if she was more willing to be on board with the general consensus plight. I don't right? mind that, thing though. That... I don't mind this it. Why she's, I doing... she's a knight. This is why she I felt disillusioned. Thing. This is why I felt disillusioned by episode five, because they're like, oh, Lucas here. And you're like, but why? And you have mm. no justification as to why. Tyler, right, Tyler it's like, no, yeah, but no, why? And no. a lot of the questions always comes down to, with the War of the Spark, they justified it by going, there was a planar beacon and everyone, every planeswalker in the multiverse got given a, hey, Come here now. Yeah, you know, and whether you're lazy, it wasn't lazy. It, is, it, it is a up, little. But... It's easy. It's not lazy. Well, yeah, but, but it got easy. set up quite well in the example. Yeah, I'm not gonna have a good. And I don't. I, yeah, I'm not saying it was bad. I'm just saying it was an easy way to justify why so many people were involved in the same plane at once. You know, R.I.P. Viashino fucking planeswalker whatever but with this one i'm like cool. <laughs> i was they, thinking they, a, it, a lot about him today you know mm, for a very different reason but i was genuinely a, thinking about him today <laughs> i have a big gripe with how dominary united didn't convey the planar invasion war thing very well and no. now we're supposed to believe that that planar invasion war thing is continuing but uh, also I love, so, all of okay. the other planes are now aware of it and no, all of the no, other planes no. are now getting involved and all preparing for no. the same invasion incursion. Did you not feel like that's, that no, was I, lacking No, I completely bit? disagree. This is the same point that we made literally one hour ago where I, where I said I, I like the fact that they're not making it this big like we have to work together thing of like we have to work together. But they do! No, no, no. They're making they, they, world no, no, no. breaker. They're all choosing to work together because they they are facing a threat. They haven't just Yeah, but what is the threat? The threat Phyrexia. doesn't feel... Yes, it's but we know Phyrexia. that. As an audience, we know that. But I don't yeah, feel no, like no, on no, each individual no, play, the they other, have the no, justification it. for it. Because we've seen it. Because we've, we've seen it. it. They haven't. No, Why does Caltime care about Phyrexia? We've seen it They've just dealt with the fucking Doomscar. To Ferry... And mm. uh, Kaya have mm. had. We've seen they, them having conversations mm. of going, well, we're putting all the pieces together. Other planeswalkers around the multiverse have been doing the same thing. And then Jace, the fucking mind mage, is going around being like, Blech. by the way, everyone, wub, 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 wub. this is yeah. happening. Wub, 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 wub. But okay, right. If, if they justified it like that, fine. But I don't feel like enough of the planes have a personal stake enough to understand the gravitas. And the only reason I say that is because I don't feel like the threat to Dominaria has been conveyed. Well enough. I feel like at the end of Dominaria United, it felt like there was a one attack on the mana rig, and then after that was done, everything was fine-ish. I know it wasn't, but it wasn't really <laughs> conveyed very well that it was it was fine. It was it was it wasn't fine-ish. And now we're supposed to be saying that everywhere around Dominaria is dealing with invasions and incursions and fights and everything, and also everywhere else in the multiverse is going to have to deal with the same potential threat in the very near future. This is why I felt like the whole. Hey, by the way, Koth's alive. The Mirrors are mounting an assault. It's happening tomorrow. That's why I feel like that kind of that concise sentencing is doing a disservice to the gravitas of the Phyrexian threat because suddenly all of the all of the all the different planes in the multiverse are all giving their all, all their individual planeswalkers to go to to Mirrodin slash New Phyrexia to go and do the battle tomorrow because that's when they're ready to do the united front. When it doesn't feel like even Dominaria was under immediate threat of its but they're not. But they're it not feel... really. That's they are. They are sending a group to New Phyrexia, but they're also ensuring because they know that the Phyrexians have the Will Phyrexian World Tree at doing what they want to do. Well, no, they, yeah. they've, the Phyrexians have got the World Tree, whatever they. I can't remember what they call it. Realm Breaker, I think. That's well, it. Realm Breaker, yeah. Realm Breaker. So they know that they're going to do this big multiverse and we thing. know as an and audience they, it's going to happen we can't they help can that talk to each other it. they're planeswalkers look, look yeah look, i don't know i love i, mean, I, I feel genuinely the love the fact that we're just disagreeing this much on the story because yes, it yes, just so goes I, to I show <laughs> that this is actually some of the best writing because it's inspiring yeah. this kind of conversation i'm yeah, gonna sure. we're overrunning and we've got another episode to to record do, do. and you only we wanted do, do. this to be 45 minutes and it's definitely not <laughs> so can i just end with one last thought and it's a nice thought Sahili Rai. Uh, oh, I haven't mentioned her yet. Sure. No, because I'm going to mention her now, and it's a little bit lewd. I'm. I don't know if Sahili and Huatli have an open relationship, but I'm Polly, and if Sahili wants a boyfriend, um, I think I'm desperately in love with her. She is 
easily <laughs> my favorite planeswalker ever now honestly i think, Do you think she's a little bit attracted to kaya because kaya's very not been specified either i mean right? i don't really i don't really give a shit i'm insanely attracted <laughs> you to you want her yourself i get she's, it yeah she's beautiful she is beauty yeah she's determined she's talented. her episode was phenomenal it did a really every good artwork job. of her is honestly incredibly she is i mean i don't want to be too like yeah. base and laddish about it but she's a very attractive lady um mm. and yeah all i'm saying is all i'm saying is i don't necessarily want to be a thrapple because i think that might get a bit complicated <laughs> and i don't know if whatley's into it but can you can but, you be down with dinosaurs i can be down with dinosaurs for sahili what i'm saying very respectfully is i'm a very good partner <laughs> and <laughs> And I would be, I'm open for business, is all I'm saying. Cool. I fucking love it. And, I'm not, and also, re- genuinely, on a slightly serious note, in terms of the writing, I'm not going to end it necessarily on my horny ass. I actually think they did Sahili fucking brilliantly here. Fantastically. And I can't yeah. wait to see more adventures of Sahili and Hawaii. We didn't get enough. Robo Dinosaur. We didn't so. get enough POV of her in Kald- uh, in Kaladesh. Um, I feel like the only reason I say this very casually in the background is that she has like artificer powers. That's a very easy thing to complete. Yes, and I agree. But, caveat, her intention for those powers has in like Super depth pure. and motive, as opposed yeah. to her just being like, create a robot, fight. The way she does it. <laughs> well, we want robo dinosaurs. We know it's going to happen eventually. They don't give us to us in a secret lair. They're failing in life, yeah. you know. I just like, think, and also as a, yeah. yet another foil to Urza, which many of these characters are being portrayed as like trying uh-huh. not to be Urzas. Sahili being one of the only people that didn't know Urza of this little clique of anti Urzas, yeah. being like. I'm building things for beauty, which is something that torn us. Oh, true. That was you know a I mean? really good statement when she was making a nice little <clears throat> thing, and Teferi went, "Oh, Urza would never have built it like that." And everyone's, yeah. everyone in Reddit is saying, "Like, oh, is everyone saying that Sahili's better than Urza at artifice?" It's like, okay, one, no. Urza lived in an age of artifice before magic because magic wasn't a thing. The third path and stuff. If you don't know about the third path, you know we'll talk about this next episode. Loran, Felden, they discovered fucking magic. Get off your high horse. Urza didn't know magic, bitches. Anyway, point being. That he wouldn't have made some lovely, cute, squirrely thing. He'd have made something that could kill people. So Healy yeah. wants lovely, cool, squirrely thing. Now well, there's she, nothing no, she, wrong with that. And is her talent greater beauty. or equal? Yeah. Is it equal? Absolutely. Well, she you know, improves on the designs of, of the temporal angle. Yes, so. exactly. Anyway, anyway. Tem- anyway, right, we're getting off track. <laughs> All I'm saying is, is that for a character that I didn't really give a shit about in terms of like the narrative, because she didn't really have mm. much... Um, but is always a character I was like, do you know what? Sahili seems pretty cool. To then get yeah. her in this story being like a real strong voice. And also, again, infinitely fanciable. <laughs> and I genuinely... Mm. Between between Sahili and Tyvar, I was very horny in this story, <laughs> not gonna lie. And, yeah. and sincerely so. Um, and also just being an incredibly well-written, needed character in amongst a lot of mm. dreary, like, we're all gonna die to Phyrexians. Thought she yeah. was cool. That's what I, was I feel modern cast in general, like we haven't spoken in depth about it's weird, right? We speak we spoke um in grand terms about a lot of the story, but without specificity. Um Kaya did really well, Elspeth did really well, Nissa did really well, everyone mm-hmm. within this story did a really good job of conveying themselves as individualists, um yeah. also working within a collective. And then we'll see the big the big down point for me was right at the end where they just chucked a random load of other War of the Spark names at me, you know, Luca, Nahiri, Kaito, Wanderer. Apparently Wanderer has fixed her ability to stay in one place at one time. Who knows? We'll see how that translates into the next story. And always, always, always with a magic story, retrospect is key. Not just how they're presenting them now, because magic works in like a two-year basis in terms of sets. I imagine the story works a little bit in the same fashion. Let's see about how all of these seeds that have been planted uh, germinate and grow over the next couple of sets, because it might be that they just they set a little something like with Ashiok. Ashiok's been set for a long, long, long time ever since Theros. Not done anything really. Ashiok's not done anything of major consequence beyond that one cool story where you know they went in and jib baited um, El- Elish for, for funsies, <laughs> which you know, great fucking like good job, buddy. Um, so I feel like yeah, let's see how all of these random names being thrown in at the end kind of affects the next couple of the sets. But I think that the characters they gave specific credence and point of view um, focus on did a really good job of. And I'll be interested to see how they keep handling it in the future. All right. If you disagree or agree with anything that we've just screamed at each other about the last hour, come at uh, us. You can find <laughs> us on Twitter at mtflavoring. Emails go to mtflavoring at gmail.com. My personal Twitter for as long as Twitter lasts, is at Andy Manface. Nathan's, yours is? 
at the Fox in the Moon. Will we create a Hive account? Will we go onto Instagram or Mastodon? Ooh. Ooh, who knows? I don't know if any of it will exist. I'm kind of happy with I'm the humanity that we have. <laughs> <laughs> and I also don't necessarily believe Twitter will implode. But, you know, this 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 podcast will age very poorly with that. I might cut that. Um, yeah, <laughs> let us know on any social media platforms that we may eventually get on. Also, hit me up with your opinions on Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. I'm right? Haven't haven't downloaded it yet. I'm really scared. I left it specifically until payday. People are being shit you about it. You but... should be scared. Uh, have you bought it? Yeah, I'm, I'm about 20 hours in. Oh no! I can't miss um, a Pokemon game. We will we will off air it, but um, great. Let's uh, just say if Sword, and, Sword Shield, and Shield if, if if Sword and Shield for me was 50% wicked, 50% maybe I'm done with Pokemon. This game oh, is no. 30%. Wow, that's incredible. And 70% oh, no. nah, this franchise is dead did for you me. Play, did you play Pokemon Arceus, by the way? Legends Arceus? No. Oh, okay. That might... Because Arceus for me was like 80%. Holy shit, yeah. And then but, 20%. No, but, all right, well, uh, I'm not going to... Right, defend, that's fine. Let's defend my position on Arceus. I, from what I know of that game, all the stuff I love was present in that game. So it's not yeah. a diss on new style Pokemon. Yeah. Gameplay. If anything, it's going to be worse for me because I had that. And then I'm going to go into Scarlet Violet, right? Thank you so much for listening. This has <laughs> been Magical Flavor. We'll see you soon.